so, I mean, something is happening in the church, and I don't, I, don't, I don't even think I have the verbiage yet to explain what that is, but, but I think we, we all know that there's a breadth, there's a wide breadth in the church, and I, I don't even know if it's, if, I don't, I don't want to divide up the church, but, but there's, there are people that kind of lean to the, the Holy Spirit wind side, and you know, just as long as the Holy Spirit is blowing, we're kind of caught up in that breeze then we've got going over kind of the other side is the people of the word and people would just long just as long as we're studying the bible and we got bible studies going and then, we, and then you've got the liturgical churches and and you've got this whole mix this whole breadth of the church and it's all the church and it's not our job to say what's right and what's wrong uh, about how how the faith in jesus is expressed uh, the, we would, I think, humbly say we all get it wrong in some ways. That would probably be the best posture to take. We have preferences. It's just like cultural preferences. So if you're caught up in the wind or you're caught up in the word or you're caught up in the literature, you've created a culture. And, as that, that, and, you, and you're more comfortable in that culture. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, and then what's kind of fun, sometimes when you start doing cultural exchange, you realize, oh, I really benefit from what that expression expresses. And so really what I really think I love, uh, and maybe, I'm, maybe it's my demented world, but... Uh, there's, out of the Chronicles of Narnia, a unicorn talks. You know, and I live in New Braunfels, and so we, we expect <laughs> unicorns to talk. It's more meaningful, isn't it, to know that C.S. Lewis thought about New Braunfels. <laughs> and the unicorn says, brihi, brihi, because that's what unicorns say. Come further in, come further up. Come further in, come further up. I was, I was really intrigued by that, so I just followed that little trail out of that Chronicles of Narnia. Don't ask me which book, I can't remember. But that goes back to Charles Williams, and Charles Williams was the philosophical father of C.S. Lewis. And what Charles Williams taught was that everything in the universe moves toward the middle and further up. Everything in the universe moves toward the middle and further up. And I find myself in this thing called the Vineyard Movement, which is the quest for the radical middle. And I feel very comfortable in that our quest is for that radical middle. Is we, we want whatever, whatever the best of the spirit world, we want all of that. We want it to move to the middle and we want it to be joined with all of that of the, the, the word and it moves. But, and also not in a compromising way, but a way that moves everything up. And I, and I truly believe the... Some of the people I've listened to over the past year that are coming more from the spirit side of things have come to the middle and they found sanity not just in the Bible but in liturgy. And there's a theme. I'm, again, I'll just... Again, it's my little world, but I just, I would just want you to know I think something's up. And I think that the Holy Spirit who is the custodian of the church, I believe that he's bringing all of the church together towards something that would be in a radical middle and further up. And so it would be this, this 
this flowing together of maybe different streams into something that maybe Jesus intended the church to be all along and we've just kind of divided it our way. I don't know. But all of that is, all of that was rumbling around as I was thinking, what are we going to do for uh, Lent? And I, and I, again, I listened to a guy and I listened to about the, his Pentecostal background. Life fell apart, found sanity, talking to a nun. Uh, that's, that's, that's usually not the normal course. <laughs> He talked about the power of the table. That is a Pentecostal, and you could even put, you could even broaden from Pentecostal to a Protestant. We've, minif- we've minimized the power of the table, and we, we've made the table uh, a, historic, a historical reminder: Jesus died on the cross. I just, I want to remember that point in history. Jesus, his body was broken, his blood was shed. I want to remember that point in history. I, I want to keep it in my brain. I want to keep the order of events, not realizing there is impact for today for what Jesus did back then. And that that what is coming through the table is not just a cranial event. It's not just a reminder of history. It's that history bringing the benefit of what Jesus did for us into the moment. So it's really, it's more of the experience of the table, an encounter with the living God at the table. And so that when we came to the table the first week and we were saying, Jesus, you're the bread of life, I, I truly, truly, truly believe that when we, protect, we, we, we took the elements, I know it's bread, I know it's wine, but there's something infused spiritually that we were ingesting eternal life. It's a mystery. I, don't, I would not pretend to explain it. Last week, Nathaniel reminded us of this table is about a new covenant. The old has passed. The new has come. And we want to we renew our covenant relationship with God. And, and again, when we, we partook of that, this is the cup of the, the new covenant. We're, we're, again, receiving the benefits of that that new covenant. Today is about forgiveness. So that when we come to the table, we're going to be forgiven. We're not just going to have some mental assent. Oh yeah, that could happen and it will happen. It's happening now. We're being forgiven. And we can also give that forgiveness to one another. It's, a, it's something we are experiencing. It's not just in the brain. It's all of us. Does that make sense at all? Now, in all of that, I, I, when we do things, I love, I love, I love, I love when you are, when you are unsettled about what we're doing. Because coming to the table is, you know, every week is not what we normally do. So somebody finally spoke up and said, oh, I, don't, I don't know about this. I said, well, what do you mean you don't know about it? Well, I mean, you know, we don't, we're not a, a, a we're, we don't do liturgy and we don't come to the table every week. Oh, yeah, okay, what's, what's wrong with that? Well, it seems so religious fair that's a good comment so let's explore it and my thought would be this again most of us in the room not all of us but most of us have been brought up in protestant tradition 
And so when anything jumps up on the screen that looks like a creed or looks like a liturgy, we immediately, okay, that's right, that's right, that's, oh, that, I'm not sure about that. We, 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 we get into this mindset of we're supposed to be the discerners of all truth. Like, I, I might miss it. You know, I might put something up there that might, I maybe, but I'm, I mean, I think I'm pretty orthodox. And I really love God. And I really love the Bible. And so most of the things I'm putting up there intentionally, and the reason I'm putting them up there in this is that we would experience the truth. It would, yes, it enters the head. But if, if the truth is registering in the head, I mean, your heart, your emotions get kicked in. And once your emotions get kicked in, usually we can, we can direct our will down the right pathway. I mean, it's the whole person. So it's not a religious act. It's trying to experience the truth through the liturgy and through the table. Does that make sense? So don't, don't, don't. I mean, yeah, you got you to gotta read it. Your brain's going to be engaged, but don't just keep it in the brain. Let it travel through all of what we are, as complicated as we are. So this morning, come to the table for forgiveness. I want to remind you that back in Colossians 3, we discovered that we're a forgiving community. Paul wrote, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, it's not really if anyone has a complaint. It is when. When we have a complaint. It is absolutely impossible to live in authentic relationship, live in authentic community without occasional complaints toward one another. Now, most of the time, we, don't, we just choose not to address them. We just avoid. I mean, that, our culture is great at avoiding conflict. But we're commanded to live in a different way. And that way is put up with each other. Bearing with one another, again, the nuance of that is put up with each other. We, you got to put up with me, and I got to put up with you. And I think that is totally the meaning behind that. I've got idiosyncrasies that may change, may not change. You're going to have to put up with them, and you do too, and I got to put up with them. And if it becomes a problem, then we have to extend, we have to give forgiveness to one another. And we can, we're, we're able to do that because we've been forgiven. Jesus forgives us. And there's always an abundance of forgiveness to extend to others. Peter had a conversation with Jesus. Remember that conversation? They're talking about... When someone sins in the church, hey, hello, anybody, anybody like you, you know that sin happens in the church, right? 
you know, if, you, if you've forgotten that, read the introduction to James in the Message Bible. Mr. Peterson does a great job with that. So what, what, what's unique about the church is not that we don't sin, is that we do something about it when we sin. We're a restorative community. So people act out, rebel, and then we do what the Bible says to see that rebellion end, to see that person restored. Lord, they're having that conversation. So then Peter says, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times. And Peter's attitude is, that's a lot. But that's enough. Surely, Peter's saying, surely there's a limit to the number of complaints I have to endure. Can we put a number on it? (laughs) Okay, that's number one. (laughs) That's number two. (laughs) That's number three. Now, in our culture, three strikes you out, right? So, I mean, Hebrew culture... Ancient Middle Eastern culture was more generous, seven. The number seven bears the character of totality. So Peter is saying, so the totality of my duty to forgive is limited to seven offenses. Right, Jesus? I give a person seven chances. And Jesus says what? Nope. Not seven times. I tell you, 70 Seven times. And that could be 77 or it could be 70 times 7. It's still up in the air. People are still talking about that. Those are funny people. I don't talk to those people much. I just read about them. Whether it's 77 or 70 times 7, 490 or 77, it's still the, the, the point is the same. Jesus says there is no limit to Forgiveness. As many times as a person offends you, sins against you, you have a complaint, our obligation in following Jesus is to forgive. No limit. And then he tells a story just to illustrate how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. So he got underway, and one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. He couldn't pay it. So the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market, the indentured service. You're going to have to pay off your debt by service to others. The poor wrench threw himself at the king's feet and begged, give me a chance. I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off. How did he let him off? He didn't say, okay, we'll work out a payment plan. No. He erased his debt. The king had pity, had mercy, erased the debt. Good gracious. 
The servant was no sooner out the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, Pay up now! The poor wrench threw himself down and begged, Come, give me a chance. I'll pay it all back. Does that sound familiar? But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested, put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw what was going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. The king summoned the man and said, You evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asks for mercy? The king was furious. He put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. Who's that story about? It's about us. We're the ones with the deep debt. We're the ones that have gone to the king and said, Oh, have mercy on me. And he said, Your debt is erased. The debts that we accumulate with one another are not anywhere close to the debt we've had with God. Those all of us that have received mercy, give mercy. We forgive. We need to be a community that receives limitless forgiveness. That's where it starts. Forgiveness starts with a realization that our God forgives us without conditions. There's not, there's not any particular sin that any of us have committed one times or 5,000 times that is beyond his mercy. He forgives. And our debt is canceled. And we then need to give limitless forgiveness to forgive and to forgive. Holy Spirit, help me. I don't want to do this again. To forgive. Holy Spirit, help, help, help. Keep, keep me focused on what God's done for Help me. We can't do it without the help that's been given us. But we need to be a people that give forgiveness in a limitless way. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's different nuances Same word, but different nuances for sin. And then with Paul and John, the writer of Hebrews, the Old Testament, they don't don't share the same nuance. There's different shades of meaning. In Hebrews, as in the Old Testament, sin appears as the power that deceives humans and leads them to destruction and whose influence and activity can be ended only by sacrifice. So again, I'm coming back to my daily prayer. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us as far away from temptation as possible because I confess to you, I am gullible, I am vulnerable, I am so easily deceived. Keep temptation away because I know who I am. Deliver me from evil. 
Deliver me from the evil one who wants me to take the bait, who wants me to be deceived so that he can destroy us through that deception. Just think back to the original sin. Oh no. You're not going to die. Through deception, Eve took the bait not because she was bad. She took it because she was deceived. That's, that's in us. And while the Lord's Prayer doesn't say anything about the sacrifice of Jesus, we have got to be a people that, that depend upon a once for all sacrifice. I, I was thinking about, you know, when you think about old, old covenant, it was pretty much you bring your sacrifice and you get forgiveness for your sin. And like the, the high priest did it for the whole nation on the Day of Atonement. But most of the sacrifice was very personalized, but not with the New Testament. There's a sacrifice once for all for all of us, the sacrifice of Jesus. So we are a people who need to be forgiven and we are a people that need to forgive. And we come to this table because there is a celebration of forgiveness at the table. So would you like to stand with me? And let's come to the table. Just want to remind you that the dark print is what we say as a community. Light print, let me do that. Almighty and most merciful Father, we are thankful that your mercy is. Forgive our careless attitudes towards your purposes. Help us to change our way of life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Almighty God, we acknowledge and confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Deepen within us our sorrow for the wrong we have done and the good that we have left undone. Lord, you are full of compassion and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. Speak to us and let your word abide with us deeply. 
If we say we have no sin, if we confess our sins, I want to invite you to the table. On this table, there's grape juice. On this table, there's wine, bread. I would like you to go and um, bring your elements back with you, and we will take the meal together. Come, Holy Spirit, that these gifts of bread and wine may be for us the body and blood of Christ. Unite us with him forever and bring us with the whole creation into your eternal life. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread and after blessing it, He broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. We remember you, Jesus. We remember your sacrifice on our behalf. 
remember that you did suffer physically for us, emotionally, spiritually, in every way. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Now, before you drink this cup, this is not just a reminder that Jesus forgives. This is an act in which Jesus forgives. Jesus forgives now. Now. So it, within this, it's, it's something in, we, which is, we've asked the Holy Spirit to infuse it with the power of God. That we would receive forgiveness for our sins and also be empowered to extend forgiveness, to give forgiveness to others. So before you drink this, acknowledge any wayward step, any, any transgression, any rebellion, anything that you just have. I, I just need God to forgive me. I've been carrying this too long. When, when you drink this, there is forgiveness. And then also, if you're thinking, you know, I've, I've been holding on to a grudge for a long time. And I think I'm ready to forgive whatever or whoever that person is. This cup enables us to do that as the Holy Spirit empowers. Again, it's, it's the mystery of the table. Let the Holy Spirit guide you to receive and to give forgiveness. And Jesus says, I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new (laughs) with you in my Father's kingdom. Come, Lord Jesus. Come. You have created in us a clean heart, O God, and renewed a right spirit within us you have drawn us into your presence, filled us with the Holy Spirit, and restored to us the joy of our salvation, and uphold us with a willing spirit. Amen. Thank you for our morning together.